Hi everyone and welcome back to the podcast. Today you'll meet Sadie. Sadie's mom fought metastatic breast cancer for six years and then died when Sadie was 12. Next, she lost her dad to a heart attack when she was 23 years old. Even now, at 30, her grief and loss affect her significantly. If you are enjoying the podcast, can you please go and leave a rating and review? Go to the show in Apple Podcasts and scroll down to rating and review. I'd really appreciate it. I haven't had a review in over a year. And now, Sadie's story. Hi, this is Beth, and welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. I do have a daughter without a mom with me today. Uh, Her name is Sadie. And just this week, I posted something on Instagram. Um, I had been taking a break and summer was happening. And and so um, was doing some work on the podcast and put a plea out saying, you know, if you'd like to share your story, let me know. And Sadie was my first one. So yay. Sadie's in Oregon. I'm in Pennsylvania. Um, and uh, we are um, just met over over Instagram and through that that um, Google form that she filled out. So I'm going to turn the mic over to Sadie and let her introduce herself a little bit and then tell us her story. And then I'll come back when she's done. So welcome, Sadie. I'm glad you're here. Thanks, Beth. Thanks for this opportunity. Um, and this amazing podcast thing it's a great resource (laughs) thank you uh hi (laughs) I'm Sadie um I am a motherless daughter and I am a fatherless daughter um I guess I'll start with my mom uh my mom Elfie Chester or Alfreda is her actual name, but she went by Alfie. Uh, was born in August seventh, uh, nineteen fifty-two, and um, in Cologne, Germany. And uh, she was the eldest child of her family, and she and my father met in Berlin in 1975 and somehow don't know really the story but somehow he convinced her parents to have him bring her back over to the United States (laughs) um with no English in her vocabulary (laughs) um my mom was also the technically third out of four wives my dad married (laughs) um this is prevalent because I have two older half-sisters and I also have an older brother. I'm the youngest of four. Um, skipping forward a bit, basically my mom was the love of my dad's life. Her marriage lasted the longest. Uh, I'm sure if my mom hadn't passed, it would have lasted even longer. My parents had my brother first and this was my dad's first son and only son and this was a big achievement (laughs) to my dad and my mom wanted a baby girl and so 13 years after my brother I was born 
everyone tells me my mom and I were attached at the hip. This seems very <laughs> aptly so in that when I started kindergarten, I literally had the hardest time letting her go to go about what she was doing. And I learned later from my kindergarten teacher that uh, essentially over the course of the year, uh, the school year, she slowly would make her way out without me noticing. My mom was able to do that because she was an artist and she worked from home. Um, she was able to create art. Essentially, my father uh, had retired the year I was born. And so um, we, we lived quite a wonderful life in a very small town in Northern California. When I was five on Mother's Day of all days, my mom found out she had breast cancer. Um, I don't think I really understood what was gonna happen or what that meant at that age, as well as um, my family, I think due to just how young I was, protected me from just about all of it. Uh, the only memories I really have are um, on occasion going to the oncologist's office with her and sitting in the waiting room and doing the giant jigsaw puzzle that was in the middle of the room. <laughs> um, or the other thing was when she had uh, her mastectomy. And I remember <laughs> innocent Katie asking, is this the breast that I nursed on and she said yes but I think <laughs> knowing now <laughs> I think most children nurse on both so it, it's I don't know what that was about anyway <laughs> um she fought for roughly six years um on and off like she had a couple of stints of remission uh then the last time which was roughly six months before she passed, uh, they found it had metastasized to her brain, liver, and lungs. Uh, I was 11 years old when they, my father had hired hospice to come into our house. And I distinctly remember the hospice, I guess, director, asking me how would I feel if my mom died which was <laughs> such uh, it was a blow to my system because this wasn't something I had ever considered I I thought my mom was going to be one of those people that she'd go into remission again and then finally at some point she'd survive it and you know life would proceed forward <laughs> um that was not the case. <laughs> Roughly a month later, I turned 12, and that was the last birthday I had with my mom. She was visibly very sick, and uh, she was really struggling, but she had my dad, myself, my brother, her mother, my grandmother around. 
And I think that was very joyous to her in those dark times. Um, and then a few days after my birthday, uh, I went to summer camp. Uh, this was something I knew was coming. I had gone to the same camp before the previous year. Uh, it was an overnight camp. And so I was going to be there for two weeks. And uh, it was a lovely camp. <laughs> Looking forward to the last day I was there. Um, I It was near golden hour, close to dinner time, when all of a sudden I was walking back to where I was um, staying and I felt this whoosh of energy, this feeling through me. And to this day, I mean, I, I question it. I don't know. <laughs> I, I tell myself that I'm fairly certain it was her because uh, I found out after the fact that around that same time was when she passed. And so I think that was her final hug and love. Um, I fell to my knees, the counselor came over and asked what was going on. And I said, I need to call home. I need to see if my mom's okay. And she denied me. <laughs> she said, you're going to see your mom tomorrow. It's going to be fine. You know, uh, you see your family, don't worry about it. And <laughs> I mean, of course I worried about it. <laughs> I don't think I could eat. I just remember the next day, um, my father and my brother came in one car and my grandmother and my mom's, one of my mom's best friends came in another car. Um, my grandma, like my mom, <laughs> never learned English. Well, very select words. And when my grandma exited the car, she said, asleep. And I was thinking, oh, you know, mom, she's resting. Okay, I'll, I'll see her when, when I get home. That's fine. I mean, it was probably an hour and a half drive away and uh, would have been hard on her. And this is all the rationale that I tried to tell myself and say, like, yeah, it's fine. You know, I think there was this element of uh, denial happening already. And she Again, my grandmother repeated herself saying asleep and just started crying. And I was like, no, this, no, uh -uh. <laughs> this can't happen. And then her, all of the four of them and me just hugged and cried. And I think I still was in denial. I was like, no, I'm still going to see her. Some, I mean, sure, we're crying, but... <laughs> I'm still going to see my mom. And uh, we sometime later got home. And I remember because I lived on five acres of property, I ran around my whole house and, and everywhere else on the property looking for her, thinking somehow she's, she's fine. She's here. <laughs> And she wasn't. <laughs> and then it kind of gets fuzzy 
I don't know how much time has passed, but I then sometime later find an urn of her ashes on her sewing table. And uh, I, my, my dad, again, I think in, in essence to protect me, didn't explain what cremation meant. And so of course, as a young girl, I, I took to the <laughs> many different stories I had read and had been read to, to kind of understand in my own mind what I thought this meant. And it was very far from the truth. Uh, I had spun the idea that somehow she had been flattened by a metal press. <laughs> Uh, almost cartoon-like, as if it was something from uh, Bugs Bunny and or something, or <laughs> any of those. Um, and uh, I remember feeling like there was no space for me to grieve. My father, um, he came from a very science background. Uh, he had studied and became a physics and quantum mechanics professor. And <laughs> uh, it just, his thoughts and emotions were very linear. And essentially I realized how much of it was sort of a science experiment in that like there had to be sort of a question and then an answer. Um, this, obviously didn't help my grief process. <laughs> uh, I somehow then interpreted all of that to make myself believe I couldn't show any emotion to him. And this was a reoccurring theme until he passed. <laughs> uh, I, I remember one time, particularly I explained to him like, my anxiety was as if it was like taking a beaker of hydrogen and a beaker of oxygen and mixing them together and an explosion happening. I mean, I don't know how scientific that is, but the, the metaphor is what really counted to him. And I think ultimately it, it did kind of come across as like, oh, okay, that's that's what you're feeling. Anyway. <laughs> um my yeah so my grief was stunted for sure and uh it was also very <laughs> interesting I guess is the choice word my father decided to borrow movies from the library and two of which he let me watch and both of which I don't know if this is, was his way of like here process it but both of which had um, death in these movies and uh, <laughs> I, it didn't help at all it just made things really much worse for me and uh, so ultimately I think it was challenging in that he wasn't expressive of his emotions and um, I was living with him by myself my brother went back to work after my mom died and uh because he since he's 13 years older um he was 25 and so he was married and and had to 
be <laughs> an adult, I guess. <laughs> um, so I was left with my dad, who was already a senior by that time. And uh, it proved to be very difficult. His health declined pretty rapidly also. Um, he developed a heart condition um, a few years later and just, uh, I, I to this day don't know how I survived high school. <laughs> um, and then my junior year of high school, somehow in his, uh, in this journey, he decided we should be closer to my brother uh because my brother was a three hour drive roughly from us and so I also felt this was <laughs> acutely important because with him being a senior uh there was many times I was worried I was going to come home and from school and maybe find him or had to do something or the thing I guess which is a recurrent theme from my mom's passing is my dad kept his health very much to himself too um he told my brother but he wouldn't tell me and so I went for or went from sort of semi caregiving my mom so like being her supporter to then really caregiving my dad and um so I I, I was thinking yes this is very important that we move to be closer Although it would be very challenging because it was leaving my childhood home and it was where my mom last was. A lot of memories. <laughs> um, but we did move. And a little bit after that was when one of his ex-girlfriends kind of came back into the picture. And uh, roughly a year after her moving in with us, uh, they got married and for five months she became my stepmom <laughs> she was not a great person so I'm very thankful my dad was in the frame of mind to divorce her because ultimately my life as it stands right now would be very different <laughs> so then uh Five years later, um, unexpectedly, I mean, yes, my dad was older, but unexpectedly in my own insight and experience, he passed in his sleep and I was the one that had found him. And uh, again, because I didn't know what he wanted with regards to like a do not resuscitate, I had no idea and it was it was too late but um when I had called um the emergency dispatch they that's what they're you know the, the typical like <laughs> can you um resuscitate him can you do this and I mean it was it was too late and then my brother even though he, we were living in the same area was out of town and I called him 
profusely because <laughs> he was only he was we were in the same town he was out of town and then he was out of town only an hour south of where we were so it wasn't like he had to fly home um that said though he didn't answer his phone and so it was like one of those things where I was like wait <laughs> I was supposed to have your help in this situation and I didn't um and yeah uh my I, I love my parents they they were amazing people I idolized them I mean, they're not perfect. I think anyone is. I'm not. <laughs> but I I so appreciate the lessons I learned from the 12 years I had with my mom and the 23 I had with my dad. Um, I wouldn't exchange it for the world. They, <laughs> they're a part of me, which is ironic because my mom's name is Alfreda and my dad's was Marvin. So M and E. So they really are a part of me. <laughs> and uh, I I feel them and see them through my brother. I see them through my niece, my brother's daughter. And uh, I see them through myself. So, and I think the biggest lesson I learned through all of this is not to hide your emotions <laughs> feel them accept them it's okay to feel them and know that there isn't a period of time where it's going to be like oh one and done grief is everlasting and it's going to catch you off guard in times that are unexpected and other times you wish there's a grief manual that you can say oh here page 230 says this is what I'm supposed to feel like <laughs> no grief comes in all shapes and sizes and I always loved the metaphor of the ocean and the tides of how it comes and goes because yeah those waves some are gonna be so big so rigorous that it just feels like I can't breathe <laughs> and other times you can dip your toes in the water and it's like okay I'm here I'm living my life I'm present all these things they're gonna be okay again <laughs> and yeah that's that's my story <laughs> Wow. Well, um, and how old are you now? I'm 30. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, do you still live near your brother? Yeah. I, I live in Portland, Oregon. My brother lives in um, Santa Cruz, California. So one of the reasons why I love the ocean metaphor is literally because I lived by the ocean for a brief period. Um. I'm hoping to though move back closer to be him because I realized I went to visit for my birthday and um family is just so important to me and I, my two half sisters they're in my life in some ways I mean we all try to get together for Thanksgiving and other holidays but 
um they're also in california so i'd, I'd like to be closer <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um So you shared a little bit more with me in the form that you filled out than you've talked about here. Do you want to talk about that at all? Like what you're thinking about pursuing as a life career? Sure. Um, Yeah. So because therapy was not really a thing my dad believed in um, and I didn't receive help in a long time from after my mom's passing uh I recognize because I'm studying psychology at the university I'm at um I've taken a course on aging death and dying Mm. and one of the subset categories that came from that is child bereavement I find at least in this country of the United States that child's bereavement and loss and death is such a taboo subject Mm -hmm. yet it exists (laughs) uh ultimately uh one of my half sisters who's also a psychologist she's very close to getting her license um she mm, retrospectively told me that there are specific summer camps of for kids that have lost mm-hmm. their parents and when she told me that the first thought was like I'm kind of angry that I didn't get to do that <laughs> but um I I love that because I I think as children they're so inquisitive and so knowing that something is wrong and I think if we <laughs> muffle that or if we hide that feeling or ignore it, it's going to manifest in some other way. And that's what happened to me. Um, I, I struggle for my own mental health journey and uh, <laughs> I, I used food to suppress a lot of my emotions. And so essentially I I want to I would love to go into specifically child bereavement psychology I don't know how that looks like because I'm still pretty far off but <laughs> um I just I want it to be more open for people to have because even if it's not like death isn't there yet but like the idea of just talking about it because like I think I knew something was wrong obviously with my mom it just wasn't like her space to talk about it in a comfortable setting so I yeah I am hoping to focus on that (laughs) yeah well like you mentioned that the hospice director you said asked you how you would feel and even though you knew your mom was sick you know you still never you know yeah the thought you know you didn't ever really as just an 11 year old you don't really think that your mom's gonna die right just don't yeah yeah it didn't occur to me I mean even growing up in such a small town I came back to school and it just felt like this wall of eyes on me of like oh something you know Sadie she she's the one who lost her mom I mean also because my mom was such a predominant figure in our community community rather um 
it was it just felt like <laughs> no one understood and it really isolated me from my peers and my experience and uh I I remember feeling like oh I'm the only person in the world this happened to yeah. And of course, that's not the case. But in in my small mind, I, I thought that and no one could come to me and say, like, I understand <laughs> because no one in my small community could or didn't. Because, again, death is such a taboo. And so... <laughs> And kids are perceptive. One thing I've learned through, you know, talking to so many people who have um, experienced death at a young age and people, like you said, that then, you know, as you, even as you grow older, your dad tried to keep his health issues to himself to try to protect you. But the yeah. thing is, kids know what's going on, even what, if we don't tell them. Yeah. What was, I mean, kind of, both positive and negative was the last week that my dad was alive I brought him to urgent care because he had some chest pains and uh ultimately retrospectively I think it was anxiety um he he was preparing himself I think in some ways to die and I say this because we were leaving urgent care and we had spent almost the whole day there and my dad even myself I think with my mom's cancer stuff uh hospitals was something we wanted to avoid as much as possible and uh so I think there was just a lot of anxiety that was sort of masked with chest pains and things because he had a EKG and it was seemed like he was decently fine anyway we left uh, and I think my dad was very relieved. And once again, it was golden hour, like it was when I lost my mom. And he said, Sade, I've accepted that I want to die. And I was like, oh, wait, I'm driving. <laughs> you, you can't drop this on me. Like, no. <laughs> but at the same time, it was the first time I think he felt very open to share that with me. And... I think, again, I was in denial. I was like, no, 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 you're fine. You're healthy. You're independent. I mean, he was 85 years old. He he was fine, as far as I could tell. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so, but at the same time, I am very thankful he said that because he did pass about a week later. Um, in some capacity, it kind of helped guide me and realize, like, okay, I don't like this notion. I don't want to think about it, but maybe it's okay to know that, that that's a that's gonna happen whether it's now or later. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that he said he was okay with it. Yeah, he was, that too. You know, yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Wow. And it, I thought you know you're gonna also say it kind of ironic about the whole anxiety thing because you were trying to use the analogy, the metaphor to right. explain to him, you know, how you felt, what yes. your anxiety felt like, and then he was experiencing it himself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't think he would have called it that. I don't think he ever would have called it that. He he grew up in a time where 
psychology therapy mental health was one of those things that is it wasn't talked about and um he he lost his mom when he was 14 and I think during that time it was one of those like you said I think in recent podcast of Grin and Barrett like he he literally had to just kind of buck up and move on and uh he I learned a lot later after he passed that he he essentially became a fatherly figure to his younger sisters um, because his own father was so busy and trying to just bring money in (laughs) so um yeah I think it played a huge role um then coming to my mom's death because he didn't know what to do (laughs) he felt like wait I I could handle my sisters but I don't know what to do with a 12 year old daughter who you know all of these things she needs her mother for and so I I have a lot of compassion for my father and where he was at and recognized that he did the best he could I did the best I could my family did the best they could Wow. And what a blessing it is to be able to have that realization, you know, because you can harbor anger and animosity and just, you know, you can make up stories in your head about what could have been or should have been or all the what ifs, but you're right. In reality, everybody was doing the best that they could with the resources that they had, you know, I mean, yeah, your dad wasn't given any therapy or, you know, any tools to deal with his own grief. So Mm -hmm. I think that that's one of the things I've appreciated the most about this past year and a half of doing the podcast and processing my own grief is just, yeah, the realization that of, of, I guess, instead of, you know, I think when you're a kid, you kind of have blinders like this and you just see like right here, because you're very self-focused. I mean, you know, kids are pretty selfish, but that's, (laughs) you know, they don't know any better, but I have appreciated, and maybe it's as I'm getting older too, just to widen the lens and be able to Mm. see, ah. Like there was all kinds of other stuff yeah. in addition to this story, you know, so many other things and um, how great for you that you've been able to, to recognize that and learn that and to be able to internalize in your own heart that everybody did the best they could, you know, because some people, some people are mad their whole lives. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was, I was, I was mad at God for like 20 years, um, yeah. Just for, you know, for not answering my prayers, but, um, you know, that's, that's a tough, that's a tough road to, to keep journeying on, you know, being angry is, takes a whole lot of energy and it's yeah. pretty soul sucking. <laughs> <laughs> Anger is one of the, it's interesting with the quote unquote, I guess, typical grief, uh, like, I don't know, cycle or whatever you want to call it or the how they the, the five steps of grief um I personally never really delved into the anger I mean maybe a little bit here and there but it was one of those emotions that I really didn't want to show because uh my dad made it very acutely aware that he hated his own anger and so I think that kind of fed into the narrative in my own journey <laughs> that I mean I do recall a couple times where 
yes, I was really upset that my mom was gone and thinking like, how could I have only 12 years with her when she so desperately wanted me? Mm. And that saddened me too, because Mm. she missed out and I missed out. And uh, I, because I wasn't home when she passed, I've heard stories from my brother of like, she uh, was in a coma for the last few days and um, essentially she had woken herself up from the coma just fully like fisting the air and fighting and just being like, no, I don't want to go yet. <laughs> wow. And hearing that, <laughs> I mean, wow. it's hard I mean sure she was I didn't say this she was 51 she was pretty young and she had a lot of life left to live and uh, there's so many things I wish she was here for obviously in my own life but also seeing my niece now and seeing just this experience that she's having and being like wow you know her grandma would just be so proud of her and yeah I mean I guess that's also kind of interesting with my dad's passing I went over to my brother's um the day of after my dad's passing because I just couldn't stay in the same house um because I was living with my dad at the time and I remember my niece was four at that time and she had been picked up from school and dropped off sometime later and just innocently she just came and gave everyone a big hug and it was just like that sort of knowing or understanding or feeling she got it and just embraced us all and like we all cried (laughs) but it was it was so needed and it was so appreciative and I tell her thank you all the time because I am so thankful I can see part of her growing up and and experience sort of a second childhood through her because mine was sort of ripped away from me so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and she's displaying that perception that we were talking about a few minutes ago yeah even yeah. if you're not tying or anything, she could feel, you know, what what was needed in the room. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, she can probably be a little part of your journey if you do decide to go into child bereavement. And I I can tell you that there are summer camps in our area here oh, wow. um, that I've I've seen and heard about um, for. Yeah. And I want to say there's a celebrity that does. There's somebody that sponsors some. Um, bereavement summer camps for kids too and what yeah. a great what a gift that would be because like you said you feel like you're the only one and nobody else could mm-hmm. understand to just being with other kids that get it you know right yeah, yeah. That's, what I've, that's what I've said about this whole grief community I never in a million years would have expected to make these connections online um, but just that commonality that common ground of having experienced a loss um gives you this this connection that just is there and is and is valuable because I've I've made you know tons of grief friends over the past year and a half and it's been you know so life-giving to me so 
I think that childhood bere child bereavement summer camp is a great idea. And you love to camp already. Yeah. I mean, it was a horseback riding camp, but uh, oh. well, uh, horses also have a very oh, therapeutic, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. I didn't say this in the story, but the next day after my mom passed, um, I so part of when you leave you do sort of a final show to kind of showcase like what you learned and um after the group hug of my brother my dad my grandma and my mom's best friend um and putting my luggage in the car they walked over to the arena where we ride our horses and we were going to do a show it was just sort of like a, a barrel race so it was sort of like you're guiding the horse around and then you can jump over one it was sort of simplistic looking back at it but to me like it's a big deal um I don't know if it was by chance or not but the instructor who did the horse stuff let me ride my favorite horse there and then I also was the last one in a quarter circle of other writers and um I again felt my mom because I did the barrel race where we kind of made the shape of like a shamrock and the last jump instead of just trotting Katie the horse I rode galloped <laughs> and then I put my hands out and felt the air and the breeze and it just was so freeing mm. and it felt like my mom was present in some capacity again mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I looked over to my dad and my brother and they just they were crying and then I started to cry I was like I have to guide this horse but I'm crying <laughs> uh and then I got off and then we all hugged again and we left and yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. What an amazing connection that you have, have, and, you know, I can share that, share that with others. You know, I think that that's a, it's a huge deal. I think when kids, the other thing is that kids can smell out a fake from a mile away. So I think people who are in that child bereavement arena, I think you get, like we were just talking about that, that common bond, you automatically have that common bond if you yourself experienced, you know, loss yeah. as a child. So mm, what a gift you're going to have to give if you continue Thank to you. go that route. Yeah. Well, um, so, you know, sometimes I wrap up with a final like tip, but I think that was your biggest lesson that you shared, right? You said, yeah, yeah, yeah. About don't hide your emotions and feel them, accept them and about your, the ocean analogy. So, yeah. so yeah, well, if you, if you go into the, you know, child bereavement arena, keep us in the loop. I always like, I, I, I do other podcasts too, besides people's stories, you know, mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. if you have tips to share, you know, for people who have kids or you know kids who are going through you know we could do a, a podcast on child bereavement so sure yeah I'd love that, was... that I mean like I said I'm still pretty far off I I've not even really looked to see if my school has like a specific sort of set of courses around it but um yeah I'd love that I mean I'm determined because <laughs> it it just it needs more 
to be there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, thank you so much for being here, Sadie. Thank you for sharing your story. Thanks, Beth. If you liked this episode or you are a fan of the show, the best way to support it is to share it on social media and with your family and friends. For more of my thoughts on the grief journey, please visit my website, www.yourgriefjourney.com. As always, remember, we can use grace, grit, and gratitude to grow with our grief.